0: First apocalypse has his own line of tiki cups, the Acapulips. He is a tall drink of water, and bitches be thirsty.
1: Welcome to episode 68 of the Mutant Musings podcast. It's the beginning of April 2020, and we'll be discussing new comics and some classic comics. I'm your host, Jonathan, and with me as always is my punchy bounty hunter, Patty. Here's your friendly reminder that you can leave us a comment on this episode's webpage on geekade.com. Leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes or anywhere else you find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast. And follow us on Twitter at mutant musings. Why not bring us into your home beyond just this podcast? That's right. Let us into your house. Got any food? Just a jar of peanut butter and a spoon is all I need. Piles of dirty clothes everywhere? No problem. I don't need to sit down. Only one bed? What a coincidence, I only sleep standing up. I can walk your dog, clean your dishes, launder your money, clip your nails, buzz your nose hair, teach you belly dance, fluff your pillows, remodel your deck, hide your bat cave, install your firewall, lick your stamps, and beat up those punks who keep pissing on your azaleas. Just let me the fuck inside, Damn it! those punks are trying to piss on me. And speaking of azaleas, who's fancy? We're fancy. We're so fancy, you already know. We're in the ass lane with butthole play and a dildo. We're so fancy. Can't you taste this hole? Remember my name about to blow my load. There's your explicit content warning.
0: That was great. You're like, uh, you're like a Weird Al kind of guy.
1: Whoa, whoa. 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 I know you let's don't not, like him. Let's not start the show with insults, okay? Listen, <laughs> All right?
0: I love
1: Weird Al. I'm sorry to hear that. So this is how we're going to start off the show. This is, this is We're just going to jump right into Weird Al. That's that's great. You love Weird Al. Why, Patty? Why do you love Weird Al?
0: His music really speaks to me on an emotional level. <laughs> what? No, it's it's funny. It's funny and it makes me laugh, and uh, it's fun to sing along to.
1: Listen, I feel like I had this conversation with somebody recently. Oh, with Andy. That's right, with Andy. He sent me some sort of a uh, spoof of something, some song, and I was like, yeah, I don't really like spoofs. I'm like, I'm I'm like one of the only people I know who actually doesn't like Weird Al. And he was like, Oh my God. And I'm like, I know, but I don't know. I just, I just, I don't like him. I was, I was young and I heard uh smells like Nirvana and I was like, Kurt Cobain's dead. You're an asshole. Of course. I didn't, I didn't know at the time that um, smells like Nirvana came out like two years before Kurt Cobain died. But you know, so that's kind of, I just grew up with that resentment and I just, I don't like, I don't like him. I don't like what he does. And he never um, let it go. I never let it go. Never have.
0: You know that Weird Al did not kill Kurt Cobain. Pat, w-
1: Patty, oh my god! <laughs> okay, all right. I'm not. We're not going to go from Weird Al to Kurt Cobain dying. All right. We just. It's, it hasn't even been four minutes yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So before we wander off into more of that Weird Al and Nirvana territory, for those of you who haven't heard. Mutant musings as as you know it as we know it is coming to an end, so the next episode, the one that's coming out uh two weeks from the day you're listening to this, is going to be our final episode, the way we've been doing things, you know, which is the new comics and the, the old comics, and twice a month we've been doing that for more than half of the time we've been doing this podcast, so yeah, we just we, we can't we can't keep doing it the way we've been doing it anymore. Um, it just takes a lot of the enjoyment out of it having it. Cause it feels like, it feels like work, you know? I mean, like I love reading X-Men comics. I love writing for the podcast, editing it, all this stuff, getting it all ready, but it is like a job. And even if I was getting paid for it, like, um, that might lessen the blow a little bit, but, but still, you know, it takes a lot of priority over other things in my life. And even though, you know, everybody's at home now, like y- that, that, intro was a joke we're not actually trying to come into anybody's house i've been i've been working from home and that gives me a little bit more time to play with but i still have to work and there's like other things that i want to do
0: and i still have to go to work
1: yeah and that's really scary that patty still has to go into work but regardless you know it's just it feels like the podcast feels like work
0: and it gives us less time together
1: too That's, that's true. It does give us less time together. So we'll just, we'll, we'll end it. Um, and then I started thinking a little bit more about it and I'm like, okay, well, you know, we just made this decision. We'll, we'll do the April episodes. And then I started thinking, well, you know, why end it permanently and say, we'll never come back to it. Like, we'll just do it occasionally. You know, like we're still going to do our summer series, July, August and September, where each month we talk about a few episodes of uh, animated X-Men series. So that'll be cool. We might do another Halloween episode. Maybe we'll do an end of the year episode and then we'll see what happens next year. Like, I'm sure we'll we'll come back to it. But yeah, just we can't keep doing it this way. I mean, you know, again, it's, it's kind of sad. It was not like an easy decision uh, that we came to, but it's kind of a necessary one. So again, though, it's not this episode; it's it's next episode. I, I truly, I'll, I'm sure, I'll I'll talk more about it next time, and I'll probably even cry. But yeah, it's a sad thing. But we're still here, and we're still on social media. Like you know, we're, we shit post all the time. So you know, come follow us if
0: you guys need to reach out to us or you miss us or whatever you know. Then you can just like message us, and we always answer. But uh, yeah, it does take a lot of time reading. I mean, obviously, we would be reading the new comics anyway, but having to reread them, having to take notes on them and like having to read back issues when like we might not really be in the mood that day, that day, maybe we just want to play video games and lay on the couch, but we have to do this. You know, it it just it's it feels more like more homework that we have to do.
1: (laughs) But, uh, but that's okay, um, because yeah, we'll, we'll still be around and we'll still be doing things and we'll still be having a lot of fun, so so no worries. But yeah, so now is the time, if you don't follow us on Instagram or Twitter, to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, so anyway, so we have some new comics that we're going to be talking about, sort of. Um, there's a lot going on in the world, but we're here to give you some relief from that, to bring some happiness and joy. Hopefully you don't hate us, otherwise why are you listening? But the first... Relatively new comic we're going to be talking about is X-Force number 9. Yay! And this opens with Gabby. Yeah. Patty is Gabby.
0: I know, you spoiled it for me.
1: I spoiled nothing for nobody ever. What you posted did I spoil? it.
0: You posted that Gabby was there on Twitter and I saw
1: it. Patty, I Jonathan. told you. Patty, I told you before I ever posted it on Twitter that Gabby was going to be in the next issue of you X-Force. You did not. I absolutely did. You
0: 100% never told me any such thing.
1: Patty, I have the receipts on my phone in Messenger, but I'm not going to scroll back right now because we're recording and also because I love you.
0: I love you too, but you never told me, and I'm (laughs) glad you never told me, but then you ruined it by posting it on Twitter.
1: God, it's (laughs) been a rough episode so far. Jesus Christ.
0: I was... (laughs) so happy i've been bitching this whole time where's gabby they're not using gabby they don't like gabby they don't know who gabby is hickman has a personal vendetta against using gabby
1: oh my god
0: and you know they changed her name to Scout, which is stupid and is never gonna sell books and they oh can't god. change it back to honey badger but you know what you know what? Like I was just thinking about this yesterday. Fuck them because they they make a character named Snowflake and safe space. Oh but, boy, here we go. <laughs> but honey badger is inappropriate. Go fuck yourself.
1: <laughs> well, there's the title of this episode. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on. Uh <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, okay, well, Gabby's there, and and I'm happy she's there. She was only there for a little bit, but that's a step in the right direction. So Um, we do know
0: that Gabby exists.
1: (laughs) We do know that Gabby, in fact, does exist. And she's hanging out with the wolf fam. She's there with uh, Logan and Deken, and they're playing Russian roulette with their claws. And that was adorable. It was just adorable to see them together and smiling. You know what I mean? Because Deken has been a giant jackass in the past and Logan isn't the most likable guy. And so, you know, this whole mutant unity on horny fuck island. It's just, it's great to see people happy that we wouldn't normally see and see them happy together. So I'm, I'm super excited more of the wolf fam, I say let Gabby join X-Force I, I I, you know didn't really get my hopes up for this issue and it didn't happen I don't know if Benjamin Percy is going to throw her on the team but I think that would be awesome but before the issue really goes anywhere we see Avalanche he's in the background he's in the background watching the stabby Russian roulette happen he's off to the right side of of Scott and that's stage right by the way not not his right it's stage right that's a term I know Um, and, and part of him is cut off, but he's there. And speaking of Avalanche, Marco Failla was doing this six fan art challenge. And, and I suggested Pyro and Avalanche to at least like 50 people. And he is the one who did Avalanche. He drew Avalanche. He did his fan art. Go follow Marco Failla. He's a friend of the show, officially a friend of the show. (laughs) He's a friend of Avalanche. That's what I'm saying. But then we see, uh, Domino, you know, is hanging out with Sage at the bar, the Tiki bar. And, you know, we saw her die in the previous issue. And now she's back, but she doesn't remember being tortured in South Korea. She doesn't remember all the shit that, she, that she's that she been through. And she explicitly told Colossus, like, make sure I remember. I want to keep my memories. But she says here to Sage, it must have been one I wanted. I'm like, what the fuck? No, it wasn't. And that doesn't seem like a Colossus thing to do. It just, it really doesn't. So I'm blaming Charles Xavier. Well,
0: it's not like... Colossus was in the know, maybe he wasn't in the know that she was coming back so he couldn't have stopped
1: it. Oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe he didn't know the resurrection schedule. Shit, I don't even know the resurrection schedule. I'm sure, I'm sure that they have one. You would think that they must have a calendar somewhere with everybody's name or like an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) Patty, that would be the best job for you. You could be an accountant for all the resurrections on Krakoa.
0: I would do that i mean i get free drinks right
1: <laughs> yeah from the a couple lips
0: <laughs> yes okay so we've seen black tom puking on krakoa so like <laughs> you think Krakoa's into that <laughs>
1: <laughs> krakoa is probably if krakoa wasn't into a lot of kinky shit before i am certain that krakoa is into a lot of kinky shit now I mean, you know, just the fact that Wolverine is there, you know, fucking a bunch of people. I'm sure Krakoa loves hairy Canadian assholes now. (laughs) Um, But thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. That's dope. You're welcome. Good points, Patty. All right. So, yeah, so Tom is, you know, freaking out because he's just got too much fucking data all the time. He's connected to Krakow all the time. It's just like an influx of information, and he just can't deal with it. And he starts losing his shit right there at the bar. And he bumps into Gorgeous George, and Gorgeous George starts picking on him and hitting him. And Sage is like, oh, I'm going to go save my man. She takes off her glasses, hands him to domino and hold these, and just fucking kicks him in the fucking face. And I was so happy to see gorgeous George, but I was not expecting to see Sage kick him in the face. That was fantastic. I loved it.
0: Yeah, she was she was fucking over her job too, just sitting at the desk all day, you know, just crunching numbers. Yeah. Sometimes uh sometimes this lady's got to kick some guys in the face. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Instead of crunching some numbers, she's got to crunch some faces. How do yeah. You like that? All right, but, you know, fucking Beast pulls Logan away from the fucking brawl that starts breaking out. There's more problems with Terra Verde. Uh, uh, th- apparently all the power's gone out. There's no communication with the country. And, you know, so Logan, Domino, and Choir are going to go fucking walk through the gate. And I love this. Choir walks right into it and bumps into it. Like, almost exactly the way that fucking kitty bumped into it i'm like what is with people just fucking knocking their faces into doors you know what i mean like this this is the second time this happened in a matter of months
0: yeah like you should even if you think the gates are gonna work you should hold your arms out in front of you
1: exactly exactly i ran into a fucking a fucking closed door once that wasn't fun i i specifically remember that i was i was little i was like maybe seven years old is at the shore house and, you know, my friend was over and we were just, you know, running around in the house and being stupid. And I was going to run out the door to get away from her. And, you know, it's a fucking sliding glass door. So it looked open and I ran, smacked right into it, <laughs> smacked right into it are you that's your reaction that's your reaction is <laughs> really a mi- your 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 boyfriend a miniature version of your boyfriend gets smacked in the face and he's on the ground crying and you're just nah. <laughs> thanks bad thanks well, <laughs> it." Really appreciate-
0: you were a stupid kid i'm sure i hurt myself in oh my dumb God, ways, too. You,
1: why would you call me stupid because you were kidding kids are stupid Patty, this is this is wrong. You know what, Patty? I bet you I'm 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 gonna be the bigger man here. I bet you weren't a stupid kid. I bet you were. I bet you were the smartest kid, and I bet you never ran into a sliding glass door ever in your life, ever. I don't remember running
0: into a glass door, but I right. do You remember slamming my finger in a sliding wooden door that hurt oh. a lot. Yeah.
1: Okay. We'll see my my first reaction is to have concern for you and i know that this probably happened years ago but i still want to offer you an ice pack a band-aid and you know some some support
0: oh i'm sorry um i'm not a supportive girlfriend i'm sorry (laughs) that's what you're trying to get at here
1: no 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 i'm just saying i love you patty that's Uh all
0: i love you too
1: (laughs) Alright.
0: Well have you seen the have you seen the videos about the dogs who have run into glass doors in the past so they won't go through them? And then Oh my go, god. Like but yeah. they're open and then the owner has to like pretend to open the door and then they'll go in. Those are like my favorite
1: videos. You showed me that one not too long ago of the dog walking through it backwards, right? Wasn't that Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Those poor things. I shouldn't laugh. Now I feel bad. Alright. So anyway, so yeah, the fucking uh nature is just out of control. The presidential manor in Terra Verde looks like a nightmare. There are dead bodies, plants covering the gate. And you know, the art the art is great. I've talked about Joshua Cassara before. He doesn't do like the most technically detailed, gorgeous figures of characters, but like he does a really, really good job of making things look gross and dark and really gritty. You know, I mean I really liked the way all this looked and it really looked like a body horror sort of nightmare. And as a fan of Junji Ito, um I love that kind of shit. So go look up Junji Ito and go read his stuff. Um <laughs> but this was weird. Um this was just kind of like a side note when Beast and Quentin are talking, apparently he's never needed glasses. He just likes to accessorize and I, I...
0: hate that. As a Do glasses you. wearer <laughs> Because even when it was... Okay, it was really weird timing. I was reading this issue, and when I saw Quentin, I was like, oh, yeah, represent. He's, like, one of the few characters that wears glasses. And, like, yeah. I was like, okay, so, like, him, and then we have Beast, but Beast sucks. <laughs> and then <laughs> let's say maybe Strong Guy. That's it. Those are all the ones that I can think of. I'm sure I'm missing... <laughs> A few, but those Probably. are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. Sage wears glasses, but I think that they're also sunglasses.
1: Prescription sunglasses.
0: <laughs> Does she always <laughs> wear them, or is it only sometimes?
1: uh, I think it's only sometimes. I don't feel like she always wears glasses. She definitely has not always worn glasses. When she was fucking spying on the Hellfire Club years ago, when she was quote-unquote Tessa, she wasn't wearing glasses back then. She was barely wearing anything at all. <laughs> so yeah, so I thought that was kind of weird. Like, okay, it's funny as a throwaway line, but it's not really a throwaway line. That's part of his whole motif that kind of means something. So yeah, it's funny for a second, but you know, it's just kind of weird. I don't um, I
0: don't like that. I'm going to disregard that theory. I'm retconning <laughs> it. Because... <laughs> okay. We don't have, like, any characters in glasses. And I we agree. need representation.
1: Yes, absolutely. Fuck the man. So the, the, we we find out that apparently Krakoa eats two mutants per year just to, like, I don't know, I guess stay full. And for as big as that fucking thing is, it's kind of surprising that it's only two mutants. But that's also kind of scary because, like, how do they pick? Is it just, oh. like, fucking random? What?
0: I have an idea. Yeah. Sabertooth. That's his punishment. <laughs> Twice a year he gets fed to Krakoa.
1: Oh well, you know what? That's not that's not bad. I kinda it's like, like that.
0: There was what was that myth? I think it was from Norse mythology that I think it was like Loki's punishment or whatever, that he was like banished to get eaten by this wolf or something, like every day. <sighs> but then like he would like start again the next day. That sounds hot. Like he would have like a healing factor. So like the he would get like almost completely gone and like have to experience that pain and then the same again the next day and the next day forever.
1: I feel like Sabretooth would enjoy that because I feel like if any mutant is into Vor, it's Sabretooth.
0: <laughs>
1: you know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, so fucking Beast realizes that the team is in trouble. Uh, and he grabs Black Tom, and Black Tom is not doing so well. He's really fucking hungover. Beast just, like, throws him over his back, and is just gonna fucking, like, throw him through a portal to go fight this fucking thing. So, I mean, we find out that it's, it's an angry god. I don't know, Quentin is, like, running out of the fucking temple, and it's like, it's not a hungry plant, it's an angry god. So, okay, big fucking plant That's god angry like thing. just, like,
0: what he said. That's just, like, your opinion, man.
1: Oh, now you got quotes? Now you yeah, got quotes because now do. you saw the movie. You saw the I movie. I saw the so- movie. Because Patty's got quotes. All right. <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out. Now, as as bad as I feel for Black Tom just being thrown into this by Beast, um, I'm kind of excited to see Black Tom fight this fucking thing. I really am. Um, because, you know, I mean, we're we're going on issue 10 whenever it actually gets released. And we haven't seen him, like, truly cut loose yet. And that was something that I was interested in. You know, when they showed off the rosters of these teams uh, last summer, that was a big fucking question mark. Like, why is he hanging out with them? Um, and now we're going to see him cut loose. This is perfect. This is exactly what he's there for. So I'm, I'm excited to see Black Tom fight this fucking thing.
0: Yeah, uh, this series, uh, something that I had a little bit of an issue with is, like, Quentin and Domino have both died. And this is within the first nine issues. <laughs> yeah. Well, technically, the first eight issues. Um True. yeah. Like, what are the consequences for them? Like, what are the stakes? Because, right. like, without Hickman, what would this team be doing? Because now writers have full reign to be like, uh, we're just going to kill these characters, like, five times. And who cares? It doesn't matter. We can do whatever the fuck we want. I mean, just because you can... Does it mean you should,
1: yeah, like, I agree, just kill characters whenever you want, so and and see th- now that's something that could turn into a catch twenty two to be honest, because I liked this idea that Hickman had his, part of his pitch for this whole thing that he's doing was you know we're gonna make it so they can be resurrected, and like a major reason for Hickman doing that and coming up with this was because he was tired of pitches for x-men stories revolving around this character is gonna die (gasps) this major character is gonna die and he's like no that can't like that's that's a tired thing we're not gonna keep doing that and in fact when he was waiting he was getting pitches for i I, he didn't say who pitched it to him but he said even in uh, a writer had pitched to him like you know an x-men story like an x-men book and that part of that pitch was and this character dies And he's like, see, this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's what I'm trying to avoid. Like, if you're going to kill a character, okay, there has to be more going on with the story than just that. And I really appreciate that because we all pretty much know that it's a joke. Every every time an X-Man has died in the past, it's just like, you're just looking at your watch and just it's only a matter of time before they come back. You know, it's no big deal. And he's done away with that and that's great. But now, exactly what you said can happen. You can have somebody just fucking die every other issue. And it's kind of like, okay, well, what's the explanation? Are they getting sloppy now because they know they can come back? It's weird. You know, it just kind of throws off like any any sort of um, the gravity of any story. And I'm not saying that, at least this is my opinion now going off of what you said. I don't think Benjamin Percy is in that territory yet where he's overdoing it. But I think if he does it again anytime soon, then it's going to become ridiculous. Otherwise, I like this issue. You know, the whole fucking the splash page of the Green Lagoon, where they're all the like all the mutants are getting fucking drunk and Dazzlers playing a live show with Lila Cheney and Shark Girl and Thunderbird is there with Psylocke and like all these things. It was all a lot of fun. You know, again, I'm excited to see Black Tom in action. I think this is interesting that Domino can't remember, even though she said that. That's going to come back. So all in all, this was, you know, a pretty good issue, and I like where it's going. I just, like you said, I don't want to see them relying on the deaths of these characters. All right, so next new comic we're talking about is Giant Size X-Men Nightcrawler. This was more
0: like Giant Sized X-Men, comma, (laughs) pint. (laughs) size nightcrawler
1: this was more like giant size colon nightcrawler am i right <laughs> <laughs> how you like that i don't know where i don't know where patty i don't know where your colon went but you replaced your colon <laughs> you replaced your colon with a comma honey oh, where's your oh,
0: no okay where, um, where's your
1: where's your colon go patty giant,
0: giant <laughs> dash size <laughs> oh, wait Giant size X Men colon X Men ends parentheses. Nate Crawler ends parentheses
1: <laughs> squared. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. So now that we got the title out of the way, um, yeah. So all right, so so let's let's get this out of the way. This was not so much a a nightcrawler story um that's what although- i'm getting at <laughs> <laughs> although he was there and i do believe his colon was there too i feel like both nightcrawler and his colon were present in this story but no this was not so much a giant size x-men nightcrawler issue um apparently what had happened with this was you know it credited Hickman and Alan Davis. So you figure, okay, so there's your writer and there's your artist. Or a co-writer and artist. But but no, this was this was more Alan Davis. Hickman didn't have a lot to do with it. According to Hickman himself, he said that he had an outline for the story and that Alan Davis just kind of did everything else. He was responsible for the majority of this issue. And I honestly, I don't think that this was a bad issue. Um, I just, I feel like... The title is wrong. <laughs> exactly the, uh, people went into this with expectations and rightfully so and they didn't get what they thought that they were going to get so i don't think that this was bad but the uh, yeah I, exactly the title just was very misleading but all in all this is a pretty good issue this could have been in um the the series of x-men going on right now it's just like a standalone issue um fucking nightcrawler has this little team and I'm very happy with the team. It's fucking it's Cypher, Magic, and IBoy. Lockheed's there. They're going to investigate this reading of mutants near a Krakoman gate in the deserted uh, mansion. And it's great. IBoy is there. You know, he's fucking useful. Like people shit on iBoy. I'm like, come on. Like, we saw him once years ago in a story that was supposed to take place in the future, and he went by I Man, which <laughs> makes sense. He's all grown up. He's all man, he's an I-Man. Um. <laughs> i'm more of but an you, ass man myself
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh that was, that was that was yeah you like that, that, was, that joke was, uh, i like that i like good. that yeah <laughs> i am also an ass man so i that that resonates with me <laughs> but look how useful he is he's got infrared he's got night vision he's got Oral, oral, <laughs> oral vision. <laughs> and I thought he was an ass man. We just concluded he was an ass man. I guess even ass men like oral too, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, you can combine them. <laughs> Patty, you never go ass to mouth, right? If Clerks too taught me anything, if Kevin Smith has taught me anything, it's you never go ass to mouth. <laughs> um anyway, all right. So then there's this it's weird because suddenly there's the ghost of Thunderbird there. Um and then uh Rachel in her hound costume and you know it's really creepy and there's some tunnel and Doug gets sucked into the wall and he finds some sort of big fucking glowy ball. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt catches up to Rachel. And suddenly the art gets really nuts, and Rachel is explaining sort of to Kurt what happened. Like, you can sort of see, like, the outlines of what's really there, and it's the Sidri. They're like these little bug-looking fucking things. And they first appeared a long time ago um, in some random issue of Uncanny, um, and they were hired by Deathbird they're a race of bounty hunters and it says that in this issue if you don't know who they are
0: i do not remember these guys at all
1: i just remember them because of their design i didn't remember much about them i remember they showed up with or around the if it wasn't the same issue i think maybe she showed up the issue after deathbird did Uh, i just remember their design because it's sort of basic but it's also kind of gross this gross sort of contrast to these very, like, you know, cartoony-looking characters drawn in the comic book. And then you have just, like, these fucking weird-shaped, with, like, these fucking very plain insect-looking leg things. It was just really weird. And, like, they they built Rachel. Like, they stacked on top of each other to, like, be a person. And it, it was really gross and unsettling to see that. But Doug is trying to to help them. He says, oh, we're all a little territorial. Still doesn't mean you have to get punchy. And I thought it, w- it was funny. And so it was perfect that he went. And so, you know, Magic, Magic teleports away from Nightcrawler and Eyeboy to go find Cypher. And on her teleportation trip, she loses her little hair spikes, which I noticed immediately. Proud of myself for catching that because, you know, I read these comics early in the morning. But yeah, so when she's with Kurt and Eyeboy, she's got the hair spikes. When she gets to Cypher, there's no hair spikes. When she comes back later, the hair spikes are back, so she lost them along the way, I guess. But Warlock's there, and he looks really adorable, and says hi to Ilyana. I was really happy to see that. That was really cute. It didn't really address anything, but it was cute that he was there. But
0: he didn't say self friend, and that made me sad.
1: You should tell Ellen Davis.
0: No, I'm gonna blame Hickman.
1: <laughs> you can't blame Hickman for all of your problems.
0: Yes, I can. Watch me. <laughs>
1: So, so it fucking it turns out that these sidri all look kind of small because they do look kind of small. They're babies. They're they're hatchlings. They jumped on the first mutant who disturbed their nest. So, um, so Cipher leads the team to Lady Mastermind. Yeah, Doug had to make a deal with them, um, to allow them to stay, and they would let Lady Mastermind go. Um, so these sidri hatchlings can use. The, the mansion, and not bother any mutants looking for the gate that's in there. And so, okay, so fine. So, uh, they just walk out, and Lady Mastermind is there with them, everybody's happy. And yeah, it was okay. You know, the first, the, the first time I read this, I was like, oh, this really wasn't that great. But, you know, I just... By the time I read it the second time, I knew what I was getting into. Because, like we said at the top, like, we're expecting something that focuses solely on Nightcrawler. Or he has a large part in this and he didn't
0: this literally could have just as easily been called giant sized x-men magic or giant sized x-men cypher or giant sized x-men eye boy based on (laughs) each character's involvement within this issue
1: (laughs) do you know how many people would be so fucking mad if there were a giant sized x-men eye boy yeah that would piss off so many people that's why i want that I would love to see that. I would love to see a giant sized X Men eye boy. So it was honestly, it was, it was pretty good. You know, I mean, maybe we'll see, maybe we'll see Lady Mastermind. You know, now we know that she's going to Krakoa. I love her. Yeah. All right. So next new comic we're talking about is X Men number nine. And this issue was okay. It was, uh, it was, it wasn't excellent, but it was, it was, it was okay. I'm just yoking with you guys. Um, right Uh, (laughs) so 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 the kree want to weaponize the brood to disrupt rival civilizations and they're going to do that with the king egg
0: those are all words that make sense by themselves
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's true that's a true statement patty thank you
0: i know generally who all of these space affiliates are (laughs) <laughs> um
1: <are> <laughs>
0: generally uh i know that you know captain marvel is kree and that brood are like the little uh squishy alien guys and that brew is a brood and that the shiar are the ones with the crazy hair i don't really know about their interactions or why they don't like each other or why anything is happening mm-hmm. i just kind of know who they are i don't i don't like space guys i'm sorry <laughs> Space is the most boring place you can set a story.
1: (laughs) All right, So yeah, so the the brood are basically homing in on the fucking, uh, the king egg. And they show up on, uh, Krakoa in the last issue. And so the X-Men are trying to take it and get the fuck away this issue. And that's what's taking them into space. So the Imperial Guard tracks down Sam because Sam is married to Smasher. And Smasher put a call in. So that's good. There fucking Sam and Bobby and the Starjammers are going to be rescued from being held in containment. And Gladiator knocks the fucking accuser right out of the ship. And he goes right into the mouth of the Akanti. And the brood are fucking flying the space whales trying to get the fucking, trying to get the egg. And the Akanti chomps on the end of the X-Men ship. And they're going to fucking go down. Um, And they go right past the Kree space station and the Akanti knocks into it. So everybody ends up crashing on this fucking planet and the fucking X-Men, the fucking everybody, they're all fighting the brood. And then suddenly all the brood fucking stop and brew is just sitting there and the eggs cracked open and he was just fucking eating it. And so he, now he
0: ate that egg, like yeah. that tiger ate Carol Baskin's ex-husband. Oh my God. That- <laughs> I can't believe we never once mentioned Tiger King in this episode. Oh my god, Patty!
1: (laughs) Why? Why are we... Patty, the the podcast is going to be ending. Why are we dragging it down into the gutter now? Why would you do that now? I've been
0: trying to do that the whole time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The Kree and the Shi'ar have fought before. And basically, the Kree had this plan to... I guess infiltrate the fucking the Shi'ar Empire and bring them down with this King Egg. So the the brood, they're all they're fucking a matriarchal society. You've got queens, you've got the empress. So it all makes sense. They're the ones who are in charge of the massive amount of drones. So the Kree's idea was to introduce a patriarchal element. So that's how you ruin a civilization, folks. Yes, it's with it's with the patriarchy, and I'm saying that unironically. So but now it's it's that's exactly what's happened. It looks like they're they're succeeding. Because we know that Brew is a dude. He's a little guy. And now he's gonna be the fucking patriarchal element. He's going to be, I guess, fucking I don't I don't even want to think about that. I assume he's still underage. Are the fucking empresses yeah. gonna try to fucking mate with him? Like I don't wanna I, I don't wanna
0: don't want to see that.
1: That poor boy Also,
0: I I thought that he fucked up when he ate the egg. I didn't realize that eating the egg was what made him king. I thought that like I guess I didn't think about (laughs) what they had to do with the egg. Just hold it. I don't know. (laughs) Sit on it. (laughs) Like the penguin dads do. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But this is only temporary too, because now he only has control of the hive for Five to ten standard Cree cycles, which we don't know how long that is.
1: Patty, they just told you. You just said it. Five to ten standard Cree cycles. That's how long it is. That's the length of time. That's like
0: when my friend from Canada complains that it's negative 14 degrees. I'm like, I don't know what that means. (laughs) Or my friend in Spain is like, oh, my God, it's like 30 degrees today. It's so hot. And I'm like, 30 degrees is very cold. What are you talking about?
1: Patty, we're one of the only assholes left on the planet, this fucking country that actually uses that system.
0: I will die on the hill that Fahrenheit is superior. (laughs) (laughs) Metric system, fine. I'm fine with it. It Makes sense. It's smart. Fahrenheit superior to Celsius. Fight me.
1: (laughs) No, please, nobody fight. Nobody fight. No, fight me. No, nobody fight. Nobody. I don't want. I want. I want to fight. (laughs) All right. Well so the the thing is is um I guess the Cree discovered that the empresses of the fucking brood they have control over all of the brood under them through telepathy and through pheromones. Um now the Cree created this king egg but they could not recreate telepathy. So they re- they were able to recreate the pheromones and they supercharged the pheromones. So that's how Brew is now going to have control over all of them. Any sort of control that he has is going to be through pheromones. And yeah, so that's why it's going to, um, it's eventually going to run out. But, you know, I mean, no, this this wasn't the most compelling story, but I thought the art was cool, especially the last issue when Mahmoud Ashwar was on art. He did an amazing job. I am okay sometimes with you, um, his faces and stuff look weird, but. The fucking Space Whales and the Brood look disgusting, and that's awesome. But I think it's interesting that Brew now has this high-ranking position in the fucking the entirety of the Brood. What is that going to look like? You know, it brings up a lot of questions, and I'm interested to see how this gets brought back. Is he going to be hanging out with the Brood all the time now? Uh, are mutants like Krakoa, are they going to have the Brood at their disposal? Are they going to fucking fight side by side? Are the brood gonna have influence over brew like is he is he gonna be like assimilated into the brood once this is all over? Is he gonna lose himself? So I thought that this was an interesting little side trip, but yeah, this wasn't like the most compelling story. I just thought it was kind of neat.
0: I sure hope that the brood aren't like hanging around Krakoa. Oh my God, I brought him downstairs and I told them to watch him. I swear to fucking Christ, nobody will listen to me about anything
1: so uh, so yeah, so listeners, we normally record together, but because of what's going on in the world, and you know we we we're keeping separate right now for everyone's safety um so it sounds like Patty's dog is making a guest appearance on this episode of Mutant Musics.
0: <laughs> Let me go bring him downstairs
1: <laughs> So everybody meet Raz raz meet everybody (sighs) okay all right so last new comic we're talking about is hellions number one and oh boy oh boy oh boy this was this was quite a pleasant surprise i did not know what the hell to expect i looked at the lineup that they revealed piece by piece and i'm like what is the point of any of this A couple of the characters had me interested. Uh, They released uh, a couple of preview pages, and that sort of had me sold on it a little bit. Um, And then I read it, and I was like, oh my god, this is so good. This was amazing. I mean, you know, I could end up eating those words. You know, this could end up sucking a couple issues from now, honestly. But just this first issue has me fucking sold. It was hilarious, and everything was perfect. The writing was, was mo- well, mostly, mostly so so smart. It opens with uh, fucking Logan, Siren, and Rockslide taking out these fucking uh, anti-mutant bigots, and the Hellfire cult has weapons in the back of this van, and Havoc and Nightcrawler are hanging out by it, thinking that they've secured the weapons, and one of the bigots blasts the van with a bazooka, and Alex loses his shit. He starts to fucking fry this guy's head until fucking Logan knocks him away, and Rockslide is holding on to him, and he's like, what? What did I do?
0: He was really hot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great. <laughs> you, but you can tell that he was not in his right mind, that that was not him, because his dialogue boxes went a little weird. You know that something was off. Something was controlling him.
0: He didn't get reverted all the way he got converted
1: <laughs> he got perverted he got perverted perverted alex summers that's what happens when he gets perverted uh, <laughs> he tears his pants off and tries to burn your face um, yes yes yeah.
0: please <laughs>
1: So so, a, a side note, the artist on this was Steven Segovia. And just last episode, we were talking about Extreme X-Men Volume 2, and he did a bunch of the art. And I was commenting about how his art was okay not great. And also that all the, the teeth. Well, he, he got better. Um, he has gotten a lot better. He probably practiced over the past six, seven years. He did a much, much better job on art. Um, after all this time. So I have to give them a lot of props for coming all this way.
0: They stopped calling Scalp Hunter, Scalp Hunter,
1: Except for in the very beginning when they showed the the cast.
0: Yeah, that got me confused because I was like, I don't know this guy's name. Who is this? <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think Scalp Hunter is a badass name.
1: It is a badass name, but it's also a little, you know, I mean, I can see how it's sort of bigoted and kind of tone deaf. I mean,
0: okay. So I asked my native friend, and he said he thought it was cool. It would put the fear into white men, and I was no, like, "Yeah, I like that."
1: <laughs> okay. Well, if that's how your friend feels, but I don't feel like <laughs> your, your friend speaks for all natives.
0: No, no, no. I just wanted to have like a you know a native. Uh,
1: I get you absolutely
0: stance on it.
1: I think that's great, too. And and I will admit that it sounds like a badass name, but like I, like I said, I do also believe that it's sort of tone-deaf and that it's dated. But for me personally, I think John Greycrow sounds pretty badass, and that sounds cool. If he wants to go by Greycrow, if he wants to keep using Scalp Hunter, if they keep riding him that way, that, that's fine. For me personally, I would just prefer to call him John or Greycrow or something. Ugh, John is so boring, though. Excuse me, Patty. <laughs> That is a portion
0: of my first name. <laughs> but it's not the totality of your first name.
1: Oh, also, it's just the totality. Okay. Uh-huh.
0: Also, there are so many characters named John that it would be confusing.
1: Okay, but there aren't in this comic. Okay. So, well, whatever. Well, All It's right. just
0: like, okay, when they had fucking, you know, Beast and Giant Man on the Avengers. And you yeah. be like, oh, Hank. And I'm like... Which one are you talking about?
1: <laughs> well, that's why, see, and now you've learned your lesson. You don't read Avengers. That's just, you don't that do That
0: is an important life lesson for everybody to learn.
1: <laughs> so we get to the Quiet Council, because they're apparently dealing with a lot of uh, misfits. They've got an, uh, an island of misfit toys. And... Oh. Uh, <laughs> Sinister uh, starts to say something, and Exodus goes, oh, surprise, Sinister has something to say. And Sinister turns to Exodus and goes, are your epaulettes getting bigger? You want to go down this road? I will be on your ass every step of the way. Mr. Sinister's shoulder ornamentation will not be outdone. And Mystique (laughs) face palms and goes, kill me. That was hilarious. That was an actual laugh-out-loud fucking moment. I I love that.
0: I am 100% here for sassy Sinister, and... I feel like it kind of came, like, out of left field. Like, where the fuck is this uh, referenced? Because I don't feel like he's ever been like this before. Mm -hmm. And I'm, like, living for it now. Like, sassy, sinister. Like, what even happened? But I think that it works great. And I want to see
1: ten times more of it. Yes, I I I agree. I I feel like it. uh, in recent years, he's been kind of going down this road. But I feel like it hasn't been quite this pronounced until Hickman took over. Um, But I I agree. I am here for it as well. I I love it. It's hilarious. So so then we start getting the rundown of the actual misfits on this fucking misfit team. And we see uh, Empath. He was making Cat's Eye attack Tarot and Roulette and forcing Jetstream to watch and enjoy it. And then he forced Jetstream to attack a glob in armor when they tried to break it up. And then there was this fantastic data page about the empath problem. I loved the breakdown here um, because it concludes with a violent sociopath was not gifted the X gene. The X gene created a violent sociopath. He never had any sort of negative reinforcement or negative interactions. Anything he ever did, he could just control how the people around him reacted to it um anything that he did it doesn't matter if it was a good or bad thing and that's kind of scary when you think about that that you know there was sort of this absence of of nurture you know through through any sort of means he did it himself and it was always positive so he just does whatever he wants to create this entitled little shithole
0: i have always hated him he's like always one of my like top most hated characters and i get what they were saying there too about how he's never had like any lessons or anything because he can always turn people's feelings around so he always comes out as the hero so it doesn't matter what the fuck he does so I think that's interesting. Also, colorists had issues on this issue that they had similar to Storm, in which they did not color Jetstream dark enough. Yeah, and I saw people saying that they didn't even know who that was until, you know, they said his name or whatever. Which I can see because you know the Hel- the Hellions all wear the same costumes. Yeah,
1: I just assumed it was him because there, other than him, there was only. James, when he went by Thunderbird, that was a member of the Hellions who had black hair, and I knew that that wasn't Warpath, so I figured that that had to be Jetstream. Um, yeah, but yeah, I I, I absolutely agree. I, I agree. He was basically a white dude, and he's not white. the The guy has dark skin, so yeah. Hopefully, that's a problem that gets corrected. But at the same time, I don't know how much we're gonna see the rest of the Hellions going forward. It was nice to see that they are on Krakawa and that they're all okay. Or as okay as they can be, it sucks that this is the way that we we saw them for the first time on Krakoa. But at least they're there. I hope we see more of them. So then we get we get you know like the the rest of the the team. Why they're all in trouble? Nanny and Orphan Maker. Uh, Orphan Maker wanted his nanny and was literally like fighting. Uh, what was it, Angel and Beast, that he wanted his nanny. They were being kept apart, you know, obviously for good reason.
0: Yeah, he was like having a fucking temper
1: tantrum. Yeah, and he's huge and strong. So, you know, he was beating everyone's ass. Wild Child was interesting. They were keeping him in isolation. He went after some children and got locked up, and Sage had uh, medication for him. And it turned out Cecilia Reyes was there with Sage to give him the meds. She found that he was burying it, and he, and he fucking attacked the two of them. And then the Morlocks confront Grey Crow, right, at the fucking beach. He's just sitting there by himself, cleaning his guns. And uh what was it? Cybele showed up first. And I think it was Callisto that said, do you know what day it is, John? And he goes, it's the day I clean my guns. And she goes, it's the anniversary of the mutant massacre. And so they all attack him, right? But then they cut back to the Quiet Council meeting, and Storm says to him, you attacked a defenseless group of Morlocks, victimizing them yet again. Haven't you caused them enough pain? And he goes, guess not. And I'm like, what? He just took the fucking punishment. Because that's clearly not how it went down. And we didn't see them actually fight. We didn't see what he actually did to them. But it's like he knew he had it coming. He knew what he had done to them during the mutant massacre and was almost like trying to atone for it by by keeping quiet and not saying, hey, lady, the Morlocks attacked me first. Um, so I thought that that was super interesting. And I feel like he's got a long way to go for any sort of atonement, but I feel like that was at least a small step in that right direction. One thing, okay, so, so here was a weak point for me uh, of the issue. It may seem silly, but it was something that really stuck out how Xavier goes, this is troubling. We've given predatory mutants a home in paradise. I'm like, bro, you didn't give them a home. You invited them to walk through your fucking gate. Like, it wasn't that long ago. You fucking shook hands with Apocalypse, who was a predatory mutant. You know, you can't invite all this trouble onto your island and then be surprised that just because you want mutant kind to be united that just because a mutant steps foot on your island that all of a sudden they're completely different people empath is still the same little shit he's always been wild child still has problems you know i mean even a fucking apocalypse who's sitting right next to you is doing weird surgical shit on some magical lady in a (laughs) basement so uh, what the fuck like i thought that was really silly that you know they didn't think of Anything in between, oh, let mutants run free and, oh, crack hole hole with you. Like, there's got to be something else in between as as sort of punishment. And that's sort of where Sinister steps in. You know, first of all, he notices Alex is there. (laughs) And so that was kind of funny. But he comes up with this idea for a fucking, you know, a team. They're square pegs straining heroically against round holes. Who are we to stop them? And so he wants to put this team together under three conditions. First of all... There can be no chance of human casualty when this team goes out on missions. Uh, a violent overreaction is ideal, and there has to be therapeutic value in the carnage. And it seems like Scott wants Quanin in there as the babysitter. And she sort of owes Mr. Sinister for keeping quiet about the whole fallen angels thing anyway. So this all sort of works out. So I really thought, you know, this was a really good setup immediately.
0: Yeah. A few months ago when we were asked, like, if we could create a team, what kind of team would you want? I kind of said something like this. It kind of, like, like I want a team of, like, kind of, like, misfit losers. Kind of like the original X Factor was. Not, I mean, you know, after the 05 when Peter David took over. Yeah. And this team is that. Plus it's, like... It's got, like, that level of nonsense that I was looking for. (laughs) And also, like, some of these characters are just, like, straight up crazy. And, you know, then we have Havoc here, which, like, oh, why is Havoc here? You know, he's not a bad guy. You know, so I was like, oh, is he still being controlled from that time in Avengers or something? Whatever happened to him that I didn't read because I don't read Avengers? Or, or, and then, you know, when we get to the last page and we see Maddie there, like, oh, is this Maddie's doing? Does she still have some kind of hold on him somehow? Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, it's Maddie. Yes. And like, what is she doing with all of the Marauders?
1: So Sinister, uh, Quant before the team left to go on this mission to find the Marauders in his old orphanage. Quanin was like, "You're not telling. You're not telling me something. You're not telling us something." And Sinister was like, "Of course, I'm not telling you something. That's what makes this more fun." And I feel like Sinister knows not only that the Marauders are there, but that Maddie is there too. And I feel like Maddie put the Marauders has the Marauders strung up like this and is putting them under her control as a fuck you to Sinister. Because she, why wouldn't she fucking hate Sinister and want to get back at him? And I do honestly believe that it's her doing some sort of fucking magic. To have some sort of control over Alex. Uh, I think that's what happened at the beginning of this issue. And I think we're going to see that again. I think it'll be a neat story. I'm excited to see her. What I would really like to see. Is her kind of be able to revert. Back to you know normal. Just Maddie. And have some more development there. Maybe show some sort of struggle. Where this is you know. The Goblin Queen is still a part of her. And she's struggling to keep it under control gene with phoenix (laughs) sort of yeah maybe maybe it sounds silly and uh, clearly it's something that's been done before but if we're making a big deal about her returning now this is the time to do it give her some more depth i don't again i don't think it's gonna happen i hate to be a pessimist but i would love to see it but either way we're gonna get maddie and we're gonna get the marauders and we're gonna see these all these fucked up things happen so so, yeah, but I, I love this issue. I absolutely did.
0: Yeah, I was really excited about this series. Um, and I think the first issue went really well. Uh, who knows when the fuck we're going to get more of anything, but I'm looking forward to it.
1: So do you think King Brew is egg Did you think Hellions was real wild child? Make sure your Paulettes are aren't a sinister size, folks, while we take a quick commercial break. I hate being stuck inside. Hard enough to forage for beer, but I haven't humped a tree in weeks, and all I got around here are slim pickings. Cheer
0: up, Logan. At least we can dress comfortably. How do you feel about my onesie pajamas with the butt flap? Feel like I'm wearing nothing at all.
1: Feeling a little
0: stabby. Besides, we've got all this time to check out some great geeky content on geeky.com. You may not have heard, but geek is my middle name.
1: Your middle name is suck fuck. Scott, suck-a-fuck summers.
0: Geekade.com has articles and podcasts about video games, comic books, wrestling, TV shows, anime, horror movies, and so much more.
1: Slim, all I care about right now is beer.
0: Geekade.com has plenty of articles about beer. Plus, Geekade even has YouTube and Twitch channels.
1: Say, Geekade.com sure sounds like it has something for every kind of geek.
0: You bet it does, Logan. So let's relax together with Geekade. But first, can you snap my butt flap closed for me? Uh,
1: Stupid sexy cyclops. Check
0: out Geekade.com today.
1: Okay, so it is our second to last episode. So I decided to do another one of these question and answer segments Uh, we did last summer. It was fun. Uh, And I did it on Twitter. We got a handful of responses. At first, I was hoping for more, but now I'm kind of glad that we didn't get more than we did. uh, So it doesn't take up too much time. Uh, If you don't follow us on Twitter, first of all, you should. Second of all, if you follow us on Instagram, I will be doing this again for our final episode. So, first question comes from the Krakoan Spider Dad. And the question is, who's on your mutant Mount Rushmore? That is a bold question
0: no well first of all if i was gonna say okay well we're talking theoretically i hope because mount rushmore is a racist monument that was stolen from natives but tying
1: it all, tying it all back in we're signing it all back in
0: <laughs> obviously gene would be up there for me i guess this would be like the most the foremost like important
1: x-men characters if i could just cut in for a second um that's see i had i had two thoughts on this because because there's like the one that should be objective you know that this should be the mutant mount rushmore but there's also like who's on your mutant mount rushmore you know so that could be like one so there are two ways that this could go
0: okay i'm going to okay because like if it was just Like Mount Rushmore. Okay. Oh, I'd say Gene, Cyclops, Wolverine, and... uh... (laughs) Huh.
1: Wow. Everybody listening right now, including myself, is surprised you put Cyclops on there. I know, because... Not not going to argue.
0: He's the first one. I guess Xavier would have to be on there, too, if I was being objective. Okay. So, I'm going to be a little non-objective and only put ladies on, because fuck boys. So, I'm going to put gene storm rogue and i feel like kitty belongs up there okay just uh based on kind of like appearances like publication history and uh i guess the impact that they those four have had on you know x-men over the
1: years sure i think for like the the one that i would have to do for like the objective this is important it would just be a boys club i'm sorry to say uh, it would be Cyclops, Wolverine, Charles Xavier, and Magneto. Wow, you wouldn't even put Jean up there. no, sorry you are a butt <laughs> now, for my own personal one, I mean there three of them are easy uh pyro, Avalanche, and emma Frost um <laughs> the fourth one the fourth one i'm I'm ugh. So, so I would put Pyro, Avalanche, Emma Frost, and X23. So yeah, so there it is. So next question, uh, there's actually two questions and from this person. I'm going to let that pass. It's from Adam the Alien. Uh, first question is, how do you think your favorite characters would be handling the pandemic? So let's just do, uh, our single, like a single favorite character. You go first. Patty, how would Gene be handling the pandemic?
0: Well, I mean, jean is a social distancing champion um she was in uh yes excuse me oh true she was in a cocoon in the bottom of the in a cocoon (laughs) in the (laughs) bottom of the ocean for a very long time all by herself just Mm to sleep she got this
1: go (laughs) pyro would not be handling it very well pyro would be going stir crazy and burning things and scaring people and somebody would probably have to stop him from going out like an idiot uh i love him but he is not the smartest guy so so yeah so now uh the second uh question is say every person's life has a title if you had to title yours based on a pre-existing x-men story title what would it be All right, well, I'm going to answer first. Mine is going to be Age of Apocalypse. That's what I'm going with.
0: I guess I will go with Fatal Attractions because it has the coolest sounding name and it makes me (laughs) sound mysterious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like that answer. All right. All right, so Chango asks, Glob versus Brew, who wins in adorableness? Glob. Same. I agree. Glob. Uh Lockheed versus Jonathan, who's X-Men's mascot? Lockheed. I, I agree with that too. I love Jonathan, but Lockheed yeah. has been around so much longer. He's been involved in so much more. Lockheed's gotta win that. Uh and last one from Chango is Kurt Logan or Logan Scott.
0: Okay. That kind of depends on what kind of mood I'm in.
1: <laughs> oh.
0: Because <laughs> um, like Logan Scott is like, okay, like angsty, more like a rival romance kind of thing. Like Draco Harry kind of thing. Like, I don't know. Am I in the mood for that? Or am I in the mood for like some like sweet passion Kurt Logan stuff? I feel like it depends what kind of mood you're in.
1: Okay. Well, for me, it's always going to be um, Logan Scott which can we, can we please, did we all forget Slim Jim? Like, yes, can we, can we get back to that? That That's, that's fine. I'm, I'm taking that. Absolutely. I see your point though. Absolutely see your point. I, I like where you went with that, but for me, it's always going to be Slim Jim. All right. Uh, let's talk Academy X. Uh, who are your favorite teen X-Men? And then, uh, well, this, this can tie in too. And more broadly, what did you think of new X-Men? Uh, volume two. Well, for me, it, it kind of my favorite teen X-Men. It kind of depends on the day. I will probably always say nature girl and I will probably always say Rockslide. There are a lot of them that I love. Um, Pixie. Um, but these are the ones that first jump into my mind when I think of them. And what did you think of new X-Men volume two? It's one of my favorite series of all fucking time. It's right up there with new mutants volume one. It might even beat that out by a little bit. I fucking love it.
0: Yeah. So, uh, my favorite Teen X Men are, uh, like you said, um, Rock Slide, Pixie is probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Uh, Mercury, I loved. Uh, Surge, Quentin, Glob. I feel like there have to be more, but, uh, those are the ones that come to mind right now. I did love all of them. And, for X Men, uh, New X Men Volume Two. It like Jonathan said, it was one of his favorites. It was one of my favorites too. Um, I think that Craig Kyle and Chris Yost are like the ultimate dream team, and should stop making movies so we can get more <laughs> awesome comics. Um, because like they're they're like very. Like together, they're like very close to my number two favorite writer, like very close to Peter David at my mm. number one.
1: All right, so classic X Books has two questions. One is, What's your favorite X Men story that isn't popular? Wow, that is a fucking tough one. I feel like, uh, I mean, I could, Patty, I could be wrong, but I feel like we're gonna be talking about yours shortly yeah because it's like your favorite single issue
0: yeah well okay it is really popular though but it's not like something that everybody knows by the title but yeah i would say oh god i don't even know what my favorite story in x factor would be but i uh, as much as i love the like og issues that he was writing i really also liked uh x factor investigations i thought that that series was like incredible just the whole series i don't know i can't think of like one specific arc off the top of my head
1: how about uh how about multiple man clone baby was that your favorite because oh that's every- everybody's favorite patty stop clone baby clone baby is the best Everybody. how many
0: that how many times
1: are you going to bring <laughs> up clone baby to me i don't bring it up often but that was bad that was just fucking okay
0: bad. I'm pretty sure he's also the one
1: that did the whole long shot and Star are each other's dads. Yes. He, well, he's the one who actually tried to make that canon in a story and show how that works. And it, made <laughs> it didn't no make sense. any
0: goddamn sense. How did this get past the editorial? Like, could they follow this? Because I don't understand it. And then I went to the internet after I read it to try seeing if... <laughs> Like, oh, okay, what does this mean? Because I didn't get it. But, okay, it wasn't just me. Nobody fucking understood it.
1: I I don't know if this counts, but this is as close as I can get without having to think for more than a minute. It's New Mutants Volume 1, 16, and 17, the first appearance of the Hellions. I love those characters so much. They did not get enough play back in the day. Um, They didn't have a chance to uh, post-1991. And it sounds stupid, but it's I got a special connection, you know? I mean, number 16 was published the month I was born. So I absolutely love their introduction. It was so creepy. It was so badass. I thought it was amazing how... So many of them just had a counterpart on the new mutants. It seems kind of silly, but I think it worked really well. So yeah, even that is like kind of sort of popular. That's the best I can come up with. Classic X-Books. Other question is favorite comic characters outside of the X-Men.
0: Okay. I really love Alana from Saga. I see a lot of myself in her. Yeah. So I love her. I love Jessica Drew. I'm reading all of her appearances now uh i love the punisher who else (laughs) i feel like there's so many other characters
1: i'm happy for you
0: wait you don't have any other characters
1: no i do but like you know probably just like not as not as many uh the x-men are like you know where my fandom goes but outside of them uh it may sound silly but Raphael from the teenage mutant ninja turtles before i ever even knew what the x-men were I was obsessed with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I started watching the 1987 cartoon around the time it came out. I remember being 3, maybe 4 years old and getting a Raphael action figure. I probably that's I still have all those original action figures and shit in my basement. No, they are not in the original box. Don't try to find my address and try to come steal it. None of them are still in their box. You know, when I saw him in the cartoon, he was funny, he was sarcastic, and I I loved that. And then I saw, like, the movie, and he was angry, and I loved that too. I think he's just a really interesting character, and I love him. Uh, Also, I think Ghost, who is classically an Iron Man villain, but ended up getting more regular appearances in Thunderbolts a bunch of years ago, is a really interesting character too. I was super interested when I heard Ghost was going to be a villain in Ant-Man 2. And even more interested when it was going to be a young lady. And I really do like what they did with the character. But Ghost as a villain is basically just very anti-capitalism. So, yeah, I think he's an interesting villain. He's very mysterious. He got a little bit of a backstory. Sure, it was tragic, but I really liked the way that they did it. And I think he's a super interesting character. Nadia Van Dyne is a more recent one who I really love. Jeremy Whitley did a really good job fleshing that character out. I loved his Unstoppable Wasp series that he did, the two volumes of it. And there's probably a lot of others. But, again, X-Men are where my fandom goes.
0: Oh, and Spider-Gwen and Gwenpool.
1: Yeah, Spider-Gwen and Gwenpool, all the Gwens. Um, so yeah, so so there you go. So thank you guys for the questions you submitted. Um, we'll be doing this again for our final episode. But now, we're going to be talking about some of Peter David X Factor, uh, because it is Patty's favorite. Yay! <laughs> so, we've got a few issues that we're going to talk about. Uh, we have one two-issue arc, and then a standalone issue. And the first one is X-Factor number 77, uh, written by Peter David, art by Larry Stroman. It opened with these people getting a test done to see if the baby was going to be a mutie or a GC. Hey, you remember when a genetically challenged, a GC was a thing, Patty? Yes,
0: yes. It was very funny um, because if you read the first issue that Peter David wrote, this is something that... Uh, strong guy just kind of came up with on the spot because he said that muty like was uh, a bad word or something or a slur and they're like oh so what do you prefer and he was just like uh genetically challenged or gc for short and havoc was like what are you doing no <laughs> and they were all mad at him and they're like this is never gonna catch on this is stupid and it's offensive and Throughout the entire time that David was writing the series, he kept bringing it up, and it was really funny.
1: I hate it so much because, I mean— Yeah, that's part of the joke, though. I know, but it it didn't make sense that this doctor was using it because then he talks to, like, this couple— who are trying to get this test done uh, for, for their baby. He, he calls it the homo superior gene. You can't say homo superior gene, also genetically challenged. Those things like don't go together.
0: Yeah, that's that's what Guido said that they preferred to be called, which is obviously, you know, not true.
1: Yeah. So yeah, this so this doctor is coming up with this test to see if um, you know, before a baby is born, you can find out if if in the womb it is going to be a mutant or not, which is very interesting. Now, it's not a perfect test. It's a 45% chance, you know, this this particular couple, there's a 45% chance that it could be quote-unquote normal which is the operative word there.
0: There's 55% accuracy rate with this test, which at that low rate of accuracy, you're better off just not getting it because if you had a test done to see whether you're going to have a boy or a girl and it was 55% sure that you were going to have a girl, are you going to start painting all of the stuff pink and buying all these pink dresses? No, of course not.
1: You know, if, if you know, say there's a 1% chance that it could be intersex, which is probably being generous, and, you know, there's still like a 55% chance it could be, uh, you know, born with a vagina, uh, 44% chance it could be born with a penis, you know, it's still, it's you, you haven't gotten a lot of information. But basically before we're talking about all that, the point is, is it's not that accurate. But this doctor is trying to develop it because it's the best that they can do. Now, why do you think this couple would be sitting there and talking to this doctor and the, especially the woman being concerned, looking upset, crying when she hears that there is a 55% chance it's going to be a mutant? Because then what, what are you going to take with that knowledge? What, do you, what decision are you going to go make once you have that knowledge? You know, the discussion after that is going to be about whether or not to go to, you know, the abortion clinic, and that's what I really think that this this issue is about. And honestly, it's more underlying than it is overt. Um, but we'll we'll get to this a little bit later. So you cut to Wolf Spain and Hairbag is being held in this facility. Uh, we find out Slab is being held there too. Uh, The X-Factor and the Nasty Boys fought and Hairbag and Slab got caught and they're being held now. And suddenly the Mutant Liberation Front teleports in because they're going to liberate some mutants. That's literally what they do. Yeah. Tempo slows down time, but Wolvesbane manages to put a call out to the rest of the team. So there's this blur coming in. And it's Quicksilver. Duh, he knocks out Tempo. The rest of X-Factor runs in. And Reaper goes, look, it's X-Force with a different lineup. And Guido goes, this is going to keep happening until we get our own trading cards. And I thought that was really (laughs) funny. Um, Havoc still did not want to call him strong guy. And so that was really funny too.
0: Yeah, uh, Guido in this was so good. Uh, The reason that I love this series so much is because he took all of these characters that hadn't really been shown much or given too much personality and really developed personalities for all of these characters. They're mm-hmm. like all so unique. I mean, other than Rain, who we've seen a lot. Yeah. I mean, they're up to this point. There hasn't been much personality given to Alex, Uh, barely anything to Polaris. We've barely seen her Guido and multiple men have had like 10 words between them up till this point. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to take these random characters and put them on a team. Yeah. And see what happens. And he developed them all perfectly. You know, he didn't just like create all of his own characters. He took these characters that already existed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's just kind of funny to think back on that time. Strong guy hadn't even been around that long and he wasn't even going by strong guy. It was Guido. Um, yeah. And he was a bouncer. Yeah. Polaris tosses Reaper across the room and calls him a refugee from killer clowns from outer space. And that was a deep cut for me because I saw that movie way too young. And I had nightmares for many years. Um, Very, very real for me. Very fucking real. I thought this was hilarious. Thumbelina said that she was going to go find Slab. She knocks out a guard and goes to bust him out. And she goes, mom called me. She's worried sick. And he goes, sorry, sis. Yeah, these two random ass characters. So basically the Mutant Liberation Front getaway. um, Zero... Fucking makes a portal. They all get through. Uh, but Lorna manages to grab hold of Stripe's uh, metallic armor and pull him halfway through. And so there's this fucking tug of war.
0: Yeah, so they got his glove. They got his
1: glove. They got his glove. That's all they got. And then we find out that, that the dupe, one of multiple man's dupes that was with um, the fallen angels, is the one that fell in with the Nasty Boys. Jamie reabsorbed him. And he goes, it was funny. He's like, I'll never eat lobster again. But yeah, so, so they realized that Mr. Sinister is still alive. And they didn't, you know, they didn't know that. We saw a fucking Cyclops blast him and he literally just like exploded into bones. And Havoc was like, yeah, that didn't seem right to me, but I didn't really question it. So I thought that <laughs> that was kind of, fun- <laughs> that was kind of funny, but cannonball swoops in as rain is standing there with lorna they have like this really angsty chat about their allegiances because you know x-force are all badass and they're they listen to cable and they're off the grid but rain is working for the government and sam starts getting like really forceful until until lorna comes to help and uh so that was an interesting little chat
0: yeah and there was um There was a little uh, friction between Rain and Lorna, and I think it was Rain who brought it up earlier in the issue about, like, not liking Lorna, and uh, part of the reason is that since, what was it, Extinction Agenda, Rain was, like, in love with Alex. Yes. So, obviously, you know, Alex has canonically been with Lorna almost entirely through his existence to this point. Yeah. And so Rain kind of, like, resents her for that because she's jealous. And so she was saying, like, oh, you know, chill. This is my friend's. Like, you better not get my friend arrested. So Lorna had a chance to stop Sam, but basically just said, like, don't come back because, like, you know, Alex would have done something or if, um, Val saw him or something, you know? Oh, sure. And, you know, Alex, Alex saw her, let him get away and was like, why didn't you stop him? You could have stopped him. And she was like, Oh, I have a headache.
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I love that. He was like yelling at her to stop him. and, And she was just like, yeah, no, maybe I had a headache. So I, I, I liked that. I liked how Lorna was, you know, just trying to, trying to help get along with rain But then you cut to Strife, and he wants the Mutant Liberation Front to destroy the clinic that is testing for a mutation. So that's how the issue ends. And um, it leads right into issue uh, 78, uh, written by Peter David. The art was Larry Stroman and Brandon Peterson. And this opens with somebody calling the doctor from a payphone, and the doctor's name is Tucker. And I'm looking at it like, ah, I wonder... Who that could be. And and yeah, they don't reveal it. You're supposed to know, I guess, by the end of the issue. But I already knew who it was. Because I had the fucking trading cards when I was a kid. By the time I read this, I already knew who Heather Tucker was. And you can make that connection. Dr. Tucker, he's like, you sound familiar. Were you one of my patients? No, you fucking dumbass. It's your daughter. It's your daughter, Heather. And that's Tempo. So, yeah.
0: Okay. So, I had no idea. Because I don't think in the comics they ever said what Tempo's name was. <laughs> so I did not make that connection. Patty, I just Patty Jonathan. Patty
1: Tempo has Jonathan, a Patty Jonathan. Tempo has a yellow costume and this young lady on the phone was wearing yellow bracelets. That's how you're supposed no, to know.
0: <laughs> I knew I knew that it was Tempo. I got that. Um <laughs> but I didn't get that she was supposed to be, like, related to this doctor. I thought that she was a patient. Gotcha. Um, and that's what I got at the end of the issue, too, when she, like, kind of uh tries preventing the MLF from harming him. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it would make exactly as much sense if she had been a patient as sh- if she had been related to him. No, because, you know, she is a young woman, so it it makes sense that she you know, might have, like, had an abortion or something.
1: Gotcha. What makes this even um, more upsetting, though, when you think about it, is here's this fucking doctor who is trying to give people the information, what, what we assume, to go make a choice of whether to go through with having a child or not based on this genetic information, and his own fucking daughter is a mutant. And considering her age, she's probably in her early 20s, It's possible that the reason why he decided to get into this field is because his daughter is a mutant. We'll never know that, Um, and there's a reason why by the end of this issue, but I thought that that was an interesting little question that, that this could raise, you know? Is it because, like, your daughter's a mutant and you fucking hate mutants that you're doing this? That's really sad, but still, she tried to save her dad. So anyway... Uh, for a few pages, the issue gets kind of, like, goofy with Val trying to get them to accept that they have their own danger room and that they have to train. And, uh, so the public defender for hairbag and slab stop by, and Guido tries to hit on her. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, fucking Val has a mission for them. She finds out that the Mutant Liberation Front are gonna go fucking... Hit this uh, clinic, and X Factor is gonna have to go stop them. And Val tells him about what he's doing there. You know, try to tries to find out tries to find the DNA that leads to mutation, so it can be removed. And Rain is like, "Well, okay, so we're gonna stop this from happening, but we're also going to stop him right from his testing. No one should play God." And Alex is like, "Listen, we need to help people who need help, regardless of their beliefs." And Rain is just like, "But that's like approving of what he's doing." And Havoc says that, you know, it's on the parents to make the decision. And so Rain says, listen, I'm not going, I'm not helping out. I'm out of this mission, mission." and so does Pietro. And I thought that was interesting because you hear this term that's kind of thrown around um, in discussions, you know, even today, about playing God. No one should play God. So I thought that that was was interesting.
0: And Jonathan told me about this story. Obviously, you know, I had read it. Um he was like oh yeah this story uh was obviously about abortion and i was like what (laughs) and he's like oh yeah if you read it it like you just you know it makes sense it's just that i was like i totally did not get that at all i thought it was about eugenics and apparently peter david got edited a lot and so he left the series for like a decade over this. And so, okay, I don't know how he originally wanted this story to go because I'm trying to read it from how it might have originally been been written to how it actually was written and how it was written. I think that Rain is right. It seems like what he's doing is eugenics. Right. And it doesn't seem different from a doctor being like, oh, I have this test that's 55% accurate, you know, to find out if your kid is going to be, like, gay or trans or whatever. And then you can go from there and figure out what you want to do with it. Like, okay, I don't think that that's a right thing to do because... Mm -hmm. Obviously, we had um <laughs> we had a path of eugenics before, and it was not uh, the right path in history right <laughs> sure but if if this story didn't focus so largely on the outcomes of this test, I would say, yeah, Polaris is right. You know, it should be every woman's right to choose what they want to do, but as it stands, I have no idea whose side I'm on.
1: <laughs> no, I get you. Um, I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from, and, and I agree with you. So the thing is is when I say like this is about abortion, I mean that's it's more of like underlying. you know there are a couple of, of specific terms thrown out there, like when Rain says, no one should play God." Again, that's something that I've heard about when there's arguments over a woman's right to choose. no one should play God. Um, Yeah, you know, and and sort of like the discussion uh, at the end of this issue where Pietro talks about how, you know, consider trying to force his daughter to go through like mutation or something to see her get powers. And he, he stopped short of saying we thought about abortion, you know, but he's like, Oh, but if I had gone through with it, I never would have known her love, I would never have known what it felt like to hold her. And I'm like, Again, that's that's abortion. It's not ever explicitly said. They never did anything more than insinuate it in there. But I saw it right from the beginning with those parents in Dr. Tucker's clinic. Why else would they be having this discussion other than to decide, oh, is my child's going to be a mutant or is it not going to be a mutant and with that knowledge determine whether they're going to get an abortion or whether they're not going to get an abortion so again it's it's more for me inferred than it is outright because it's just it's not outright but that's how i saw it but i agree with what you're saying about eugenics because that's literally where where like you take this that's the next step Let's find out who's. Well, gonna that be- is
0: this step.
1: <laughs> well, no, 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 not just for mutation. What I'm saying is like exactly what you were getting at before with Nazis. Well, not just yeah. n- not just mutation. Who's gay? Um, let's get rid of all the fucking brunettes. Let's get rid yeah, of exactly. all the dark skin. That's like it's just the it's a it's the next step towards just the fucking Aryan race again. Um, that's, that's what I'm getting at, but yeah. And, and apparently that, that is that Peter David had arguments with editorial over what he wanted to do with his stories and eventually left the book for a decade over it, but still, you know, you can still read it this way. I mean, you guys were talking about it, but go read it for yourself and see what you get out of it too. It's, it's super interesting, but anyway, obviously the Mutant Liberation Front get there and they, uh, start, they try to get into the, um, the fucking clinic. And immediately, I think it was Forearm that called out Tempo. Like, why are you complaining? You're so tired after just the first wave of cops. And again, this is, this is a tiny little hint that the woman who made the phone call earlier was Tempo. Because she shouldn't be exerting herself too much, just holding back a few cops. But she's claiming that she is. So I thought that that was interesting. Um. So they break... In They fucking, I think it was Forearm, who broke through the wall, and this fucking asshole, Dr. Tucker, ordered all of his staff to stay home, but he stayed behind himself, and fucking Wildside gets, like, right in his face, and they're fucking yelling at each other, and Wildside says something about him being, like, what are you afraid of with mutants, and he yells in Wildside's face, what are you afraid of, that if your parents had known they were getting a vomitous little freak like you, they'd have... And he didn't even get to finish that sentence, and I assume the next words out of his mouth were "have terminated." They'd have terminated the pregnancy, or they'd have gotten an abortion. But Wildside slashes him, and uh, he ends up bleeding out. And Wildside calls him just a bigot with a medical degree, and he's not wrong. <laughs> he's um, he's not wrong.
0: Yeah, no, he's not. And up to this point, I forgot what else the MLF did. Oh, oh, um, Rusty and they. Kids. Yeah, Rusty and Skids. I was just going to say that. Yeah, they uh, freed Rusty and Skids. Uh, And there were a few other things that I was like, yeah, go MLF. I don't see what the bad thing is about these guys. They're they're not bad guys. They're good guys. And... Kind of just like how I read this issue, too, about, like, reading this issue and saying, like, oh, no, this is eugenics. Like, fuck this guy. Uh, like, I don't think the MLF did anything wrong here either.
1: <laughs> Bro, Reaper even said, like, we should call the press down here. There are going to be people out there who are thanking us. And, like, you can say what you want about the murder. Like, okay, Wildside didn't need to slash this guy, and that ultimately ended up killing him. But them going in there and destroying all of his work... Like, I I agree with Reaper. There would be people who are like, yeah, fucking go Mutant Liberation Front. Like, you're the good guys in this situation. So X-Factor obviously shows up and and they start trying to fight uh, Mutant Liberation Front. Rain showed up and helped save Lorna
0: because she owed her. And Rain was still being a little bitch- from Jeez. kind of like she had like an attitude problem after like extinction agenda for a while where she was just like angry all the time uh but anyway she was like oh i didn't want to like be in your debt or whatever so you know for letting Cannonball go so she walks in uh rain walks in and sees dr tucker dying and he is like transferring all of his data so that he doesn't lose it all so he doesn't die for nothing. And she he was like, oh, um, it's being transferred to like a floppy disk or something. Uh, and, like you need to bring it to the government. And she just breaks the computer. And instead of, you know, transferring the data because she doesn't want to do that. And uh, it actually on the computer says transfer board. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, it does. And Polaris catches her and was watching the whole time rain was like you know you didn't stop me and lorna was like no i let you make a choice and there you go there's there's another uh another nod to a woman's right to choose so you cut back to the mutant liberation front who had to retreat tempo takes off her helmet and it's the lady who made the call and strife is like how'd the doctor find out and tempo's like i don't know who could have known So, so yeah, so, so that was interesting. Um, I thought that this was a really interesting story uh, and and I would urge everybody and anybody to go read it, Um, you know, take your own inferences out, take it at at face value, but there's a lot of, a lot of things in there. Um, A lot of interesting dialogue from some characters. Again, Pietro makes this little speech at the end of the issue that makes it sound like he's anti-choice and you know rain saying no one should play god makes it sound that way too and and she oh there's
0: no way that rain
1: isn't and just and,
0: based on who she is i was
1: literally about to say that yeah i mean she has to be um but it's just interesting how this was handled and even if this was heavily edited i was still able to read what i read into it and and i feel like you know it's i don't know i mean it's just again you you got to go read it for yourself there are two great issues and and i absolutely loved it but the last comic that we're talking about,
0: yeah, the last comic that we're talking about is actually my favorite single issue of a comic of Woo! all time. Ooh. Woo! It's uh, X Factor eighty-seven. This is by Peter David and Joe Quesada, who uh-huh. later turned into the editor in chief.
1: He did. He turned right he into did. it. Mm-hmm. He went he into did. his. He <laughs> went into his his cocoon. And once he got out of his <laughs> cocoon <laughs> he he morphed into Joe Quesada, editor in chief.
0: <laughs> okay, so this is a super fun, super introspective, kind of deep psychological issue, which sounds really weird. But very
1: artsy, Patty. This I can't oh my God, I don't yeah. understand you and your artsy comic books. You're Shut really up. you're making me read your artsy comics.
0: Uh, so this issue starts out with Rain and Simpy. So it's Rain and Feral is Simpy. And so Joe Kesada, uh, did a really good job with the art. Yeah. Um, where he made it like exactly like the Ren and Stimpy style, but with, um, Rain and Feral. And they were singing, uh, Mut- Mutant Angst Angst. Yeah, instead of happy, happy, joy, joy. <laughs> yeah. So Bella thinks something is wrong with the team. So she wants Doc Sampson to check out all of the members and all of them to have, like, these individual sessions. So Rain is first. And so she's talking to the doctor about her dreams uh, she brings up the Rain and Simpy, uh, Rain's World, which we actually <laughs> saw a few issues ago. Oh, and Rain Man, I think was. Yeah, um, that was
1: another one. That was funny.
0: Like, oh, you don't really know who you are. And uh, you admire authority figures like Havoc and Storm and Xavier. And do you think that Havoc loves you back? She gets really angry when he brings up Reverend Craig. And she was like, oh, he never loved me. So yeah, he he said like, oh well, maybe you're just um trying to make up for the love that you didn't get when you were a kid. She just like kind of pops her head back in the room and she's like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, listen, listen,
1: honey, you got daddy issues. What? <laughs> no, no, but it it does make sense, and and you know we've seen that. Like, and and this isn't like you know he's just making this up as he goes along. Like we we've seen that. We know about Reverend Craig. And how he was completely anti-mutant. And he and the fucking town folk went after her with fucking torches in her first appearance. Um, we know about her her thing with Havoc. And how she is with authority figures. And how she's not like a leader. And so it would make sense for a psychologist to sit there and say. Maybe you're making up. You're trying to make up for the love that was denied you by or by your father. So the next one who comes in. To, to Samson's office is Pietro. And uh, he's really mad. He, he doesn't want to be there. Um, Apparently, oh, by the way, we're saying Samson, but it's not revealed to be Doc Samson until the very end of the issue, which was kind of funny. But Samson was warned that Pietro is always nasty. She called it PMS, and he's like, excuse me? As stands for Pietro Maximoff syndrome, an uncontrollable urge to be high-handed and arrogant. And it's, it's really funny how he explains it. Because he can always move fast, you know, and he tries to put it in relatable terms for doc Sampson, so imagine you're stuck behind the, you know behind somebody at the a t m who doesn't know what he's doing. imagine you're stuck you know behind someone at in Burger King, and the cashier doesn't understand what a whopper with no pickles means now, imagine you live your life like that like all the time, like every second of every day, and like you know i i get that uh and what was a perfect little illustration of all this is samson offers to let pietro do this jigsaw puzzle that's laying on the table and by the end of their time together pietro puts it all together and it's a snail and it's smiling and it was really cute so it's really funny but but i love that I, i love like you you understand that like like you know, because he asked Samson, like, if you if you were stuck behind somebody in line like this, wouldn't you feel angry, annoyed, even if that's not the appropriate response? It's what you're going to feel. And then that's how he feels all the time. And And I love that because it makes sense why Pietro is so grumpy all the time. That's how he lives his life.
0: Yeah, I think that Peter David did a really good job of um, kind of coming up with that yeah. reason and explaining it really well because i'm like oh god i just like see myself you know in a subway in new york and some idiot has no idea or takes like more than 10 seconds to get So, their, uh their yes fucking patty i've seen you in
1: that situation i can attest to this is a true this is a true story
0: <laughs> even when i'm drunk i can do it in oh, less than god. 15. Okay. <laughs> um okay so next we go to Lorna and this was kind of just like something that was brought up recently in the comics. I feel like it wasn't like something that was going on through all the issues, but uh, she is insecure about her weight. Um, She is comparing herself to how Val and rain look, you know, she, when she first comes in, she's just kind of sitting there and she basically just like out of nowhere is like, Oh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking of fat. And he's like, are we having the same conversation? <laughs> <laughs> and so she says, you know, she promised that she wouldn't let somebody get into her head. And he asked why. And she said, because others have yeah. done it before. Like um, we've, we've seen her get possessed or corrupted in some way a few times before, but, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And so he said, certainly you find it ironic that you command magnetism but have trouble <laughs> feeling attractive and tend to repel
1: things. Oh my God. And she said, get stuffed. <laughs> yeah, and she just like smacks the tissues out of his hands and storms out. But there was one little detail in here that I thought was very interesting. He's got like a little dish of candy um, and she was staring at it for... For a little while, actually. The very beginning of of her time with him. It was very thin in between the panels that would show her face. She was just staring at them as if she wanted them and couldn't stop focusing on them. And I thought that was really neat. But next is uh, Guido. And he's just smiling. And he's playing with his yo-yo. He, uh, he starts talking about when he was a kid. Uh, he was really smart. Um, but, you know, he didn't want to be picked on for being smart. So he tried to be the class clown. Uh, he had a crush on this girl. She apparently winked at him, and he said something, and then her boyfriend and his friends kicked the shit out of him, and bam, the mutant powers start manifesting. His arm grew huge and gross. He tried to run out into the street, and that's when the bus hit him, and uh, it it was just crazy. And that's why his body is deformed. He admits that he's in constant pain, and he said that even when he was a kid, that when he hurt, He covered it up with jokes because if people know you're hurting, either they pity you or they eat you alive. And that's what he's doing now. So as an adult, that's something that he's taken with him that he's in pain because of his body. He's in constant agony and he doesn't let the team know for that same reason. He's like, they're the first friends I've ever had. And he just, he's smiling this whole time. And I thought that was so sweet. I thought that was so sad. And I mean, a lot of the things that, The team are are saying and a lot of the things that Samson is saying back to them, these are all human relatable things. And of course, this is how you build good characters by making them relatable, making them likable somehow. Plenty, of, and I don't even mean like in a sexual way. Plenty of people have fucking daddy issues. All right. Plenty of people get annoyed when somebody's being slow at the checkout. I just fucking did earlier today. Lots of people are, <laughs> are insecure about their weight. Lots of people hide their hide their pain with comedy. I know. I do. I always have. And then we go to the next one, which is Jamie about feeling alone, about not wanting to feel alone.
0: Yeah, I love that. He he loves attention and always tries to turn the spotlight back on him and it helps him feel like he's not by himself and you know he'll he'll just uh like make dupes whenever just to make people laugh so people notice him and pay attention to him and it's it's really weird to think that like for a guy whose power is like you know making as many of him as he wants that he's like so lonely
1: yeah um but it's something left over from you know from when he grew up and his parents were dead on that farm and then it was uh it was the fantastic four that picked him up and contacted the x-men um but that's something that's that's stuck with him and he was on Muir island for a, for a long time and uh you know he I mean he kind of grew up there too around people and you know even now like he still makes dupes he wants to be sure that he's not alone because that's his biggest fear you know, and I mean, that goes for a lot of people. And then Alex, Alex is was amazing. Alex is just constantly on edge. Alex is just worried about his team. He, you can tell, he just feels like he's shouldering all this responsibility. And then Samson says, Tell me about your brother. Uh, do you love him? And I don't think Alex answered that with a yes, but he was like, Oh, the ideal leader, dependable, dynamic, determined. And how Alex feels like he's always being judged by Scott, by Val, by Lorna, and by the team. And that he's worried that it doesn't measure up. And Samson goes, why don't you ask them? And he goes, I'm afraid of what they'll say. Again, this is something relatable. That's how I felt, too, about how other people view me. And and wanting validation, but being worried about outright asking. Because you're not going to hear what you want to hear. And he, you can tell that the guy's got a lot of a lot of feelings because, you know, Scott, he views Scott as, like, the ultimate leader. And obviously, Scott has his flaws. We could, or, we could obviously already see that back when this came out. Obviously. In, in 1993. But this is how everybody views him. Dependable, determined, you know, Mr. fucking X-Man.
0: Boy Scout. <laughs> and,
1: and Alex is always gonna be in his shadow.
0: Always Luigi, never Mario. <laughs> 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 so then... We have a little like cutaway to Lorna. She comes back in and she's really angry and she keeps talking about her weight again, but she's wearing this like overcoat and she like has this reveal and she's in this like ridiculously sexy outfit and she's like, oh, what do you think? And he's like, you kick my hormones into overdrive. And she says, exactly. And she storms (laughs) out. And I was like... You go girl. I fucking love
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that was great, but then the last one and this was perfect. The way this all went was perfect.
0: Yeah, it was all leading up to Val, Val coming in and not really having her own session, but like just yeah, she's like telling him about what she thinks about the team and it's all like dead wrong. Yeah. She was was like, oh, well, Pietro, he's just angry all the time for no reason at all. And Lorna is, like, really secure. And Guido, he's just, like, a smart Alec. And he's just, like, a clown. And he, oh, feels no pain at all. He's, like, bulletproof. But, like, oh, Alex, yeah, natural-born leader. He's, like, really confident leading the team. So, like, everything that she said about all of them was, like, completely wrong. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that was hilarious. It just illustrated how little she actually knew about any of them. Um, and so, yeah, so what Doc Sampson says, they're all perfectly human. And he's absolutely right. Because, again, I mean, you can run down the list of fucking, you know, like the, the, all the psychology and everything that they have, and it's all perfectly normal, perfectly human, but they all have their flaws. They all have their insecurities. They all have their problems, and they're all 100% relatable. And that's how you make good characters.
0: That's why I especially really loved this series in particular, is because, well, like I said before, it took characters that weren't really used before and gave them all, like, these big personalities, but also, like, he gave them like human characteristics they're not like these flawless god like type characters you know you know because if it's just like oh it's like perfect superman kind of like nothing gets him down kind of thing like where's the interest in that right like you need characters to like okay be superhuman or whatever but still have shortcomings yeah, or else how are they relatable?
1: Exactly, exactly. That's what makes them interesting. Um, and that's you know good storytelling. Um, you know a good story starts with good characters. Uh, because if you don't like the characters, if you don't care about the characters, if you don't feel something for the characters, who the hell cares what happens to them? Who cares if they die? Who cares if they get you know the shit kicked out of them? Who cares if they lose somebody? Um, they're not relatable. I don't understand. You know, so, so yeah, so I mean, just this issue. Really dove into each one of these characters, and I just thought it was really good storytelling, um even though you know it literally just jumped from one character to the next. I think it worked. Yeah, and there wasn't more than like 2 or 3 pages per character. And I think that's the only way it would have worked. You couldn't have had a couple of different things going on or cutting back to this subplot that's going on. It was literally just one person to the next, and even though Polaris came back in, that was, you know, after somebody. It was in it was like before the next thing, and it made sense the way it was the way it went. It was in a specific order, and it and it worked. Um, and then, you know, Val just kind of storms out at the end and Doc Samson just fucking, I think like the carpet grew and grabbed her or some shit. It was weird. And then Doc Samson just walked down the hallway and whistled. Um, and that was,
0: he was was whistling mutant, mutant angst.
1: angst. Oh yeah, that's right. Mutant, mutant angst. angst. Yeah. (laughs) And so it was the perfect end to the, to this issue. And so this was absolutely, it was a wonderful issue. So that'll do it for this episode of Mutant Musings. Thanks for joining us, and don't forget to leave us a comment on geekK.com. Leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes or anywhere else you find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast, and on Twitter at mutant musings. What did you think of Peter David's X-Factor? Are you ready for him to write another mutant title? Join us for our quote-unquote final episode in two weeks, and until then, X-Factor was right.